That's Rebel Burton, the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome Dan Zimborski back to the program. Dan and I discuss his favorite free agent signings so far, the teams that have most altered their fortunes this winter, and what a busy offseason means for the overall health of free agency. I also force Dan to assign the remaining good free agents to new homes, lightning round style, because I am very mean. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the monthly cost of a last-minute stocking stuffer, you can support all the great work at Fangraphs, including Dan's Zips projections, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's prospect lists, Jay Jaffe's Hall of Fame coverage, and Ben Clemens's transaction analysis. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Dan Zimborski, senior writer for Fangraphs, which begins right now. Recording. Dan, you have to stop fumbling around with your headphones now. <laughs> Hi. I'm still. I'm being very, very still. <laughs> Dan, how are you? I'm good. It's it. We, we've had baseball things happen, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's been in contrast to, to last year where I felt like we were, you know, sc- sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel for... Uh, topics, especially headed into the sort of holiday break. I think it's it's been so busy. We've had so much activity. Uh, yeah, last year I was very thankful that I had all the Zips projection uh, articles because there were some weeks I wouldn't know what to write about because... Yeah, it was quite quiet. We weren't even having minor moves. It was really just, no. you know, it's like everyone come back in, in, in February and it's like, okay, that's... It's like, it's like you guys aren't thinking about the writers at all. Yeah. It's almost as if we aren't part of the calculus in the way the front offices structure and time their their moves. Although if I if I recall correctly, and I feel like I can bring this up with you because I think you ended up pulling the short straw for some of these. I remember the Friday before Christmas being very busy last year. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I I don't know. I guess it's like shopping days. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's trying to uh, you know put things off as long as they can. Well, it has been, as we're alluding to, in a, a very different sort of offseason, this offseason than we've seen the past couple of years. And we're narratively inclined as a as a group of people. Uh, and I often wonder if we sort of jump the gun on those narratives. And Dan, I, I want to ask you, before we get into some of the more specific uh, moves and uh, the, the effect that they have had on teams' fortunes, What's your what's your impression of free agency right now? Does this offseason say to you that free agency has sort of returned to a healthy state or do you think that this is uh, likely a blip on the on the eventual radar? I, I think it's kind of a mix of results. We're still seeing a very healthy market for the top of the free agent class. Yeah. And some could say that it's that it's that they've spent, got even larger contracts than we expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anyone went in thinking that Garrett Cole was going to get $324 million. I mean, even with opt-outs, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I also think that there's a little more, let's just say, real politic uh, among, say, the second and third tier free agents. We don't see guys really holding out for, you know, unrealistic contracts any longer. I think sure. in past off-seasons, someone like Jake Odorizzi might have been very disappointed what happened. But this, this off-season... I mean, we're not going to all there's only two qualifying offer guys left. Right. And neither of them are going to have trouble getting a contract. So I think I mean, we've had a lot of good deals, a lot of big contracts. I think it's not so much a change back to, say, pre 2016, but I think it's moderating it. And everyone's kind of adjusted to the new normal to a degree. Sure. Although we've seen some, I think there have been some surprises, both not only in the uh, average annual value of some of these deals, but in the length. I I think that if you had asked me to take the over or under on four years for Drew Pomeranz before the off season started, I would have decidedly taken the under. That was that was not one I saw coming. I I, I did not see Pomeranz coming, but <laughs> I think in a way, if you look at it, I don't know how big of an effect this is. But I think some of the uncertainty about about baseball, the level of offense, I think it's kind of similar to what you see in the stock market sometimes. There's been kind of a rush to quality where mm-hmm. you see some of the guys who are, quote unquote, being overpaid just from a general perception standpoint. 
they're the kind of players that aren't necessarily going to be as affected by a change in the baseball. Uh, sure. Drew Pomeranz, I mean, in relief, he was striking out, what, like 13, 14 batters a game? That yeah. kind of guy isn't as sensitive to a change in the baseball as, say, uh, a, a pitcher like Madison Bumgarner. And Madison Bumgarner, he did not have a huge market the way some of the other top-tier pitching free agents below Colin Strasburg did. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that has just a little bit to do with it. But I may just be, you know, guessing and seeing patterns where none exist. Well, and even even Bumgarner seems to have, I mean, based on the public reports at least, seems to have had the option to uh, net more in terms of absolute salary and just really wanted to be in Arizona. So he ended up sort of seemingly artificially constricting his own market just because he really wanted to go hang out in the desert. Yeah, well, I mean, the desert is nice in the in the uh, in the winter, so it's a good yeah. place. Although he's not actually there in the winter, but it's it's low humidity. Yeah, and you know, San Francisco in summer is is like it's, the frozen tundra. Yeah, it's it's winter in Seattle, basically. <laughs> yeah, pe- people don't realize that a lot of people don't, but that that if you look through all the cities, the average game time temperature for for baseball games in the last thirty years is San Francisco and Oakland. People might think it's a more a northern city, but it's San Francisco and Oakland. Yeah, being right on the bay like that can it can get you. What have been your your sort of favorite signings of this offseason so far? Which ones have you thought, aha, that's gonna that's gonna move the needle for those guys? Well, I really like Strasburg getting back to Washington. I know it's not exactly the most obscure signing to choose, but I think we don't he- have to be we don't have to be <laughs> clever about it. We can pick obvious things. Sometimes they're obvious for a reason. Yeah, but you know, I had this pathological desire to be clever. <laughs> it, it it's pretty terrible. I was a, I was a unbelievably difficult child to 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 raise because I'm kind of exactly the same as I was when I was five. Uh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I a lot of the. You know, the five-year-olds and six-year-olds in my elementary school, they learned that Santa Claus didn't exist and and the process of putrefaction when you die. They learned about those things from me instead of their parents when they were ready. Oh, jeez, uh, Dan. That was, that was terrible. I, I should have been smacked a little by someone. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think Stras- Strasburg is that far below Garrett Cole. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think Cole's clearly better. But if someone says, you know... You can have Strasburg for seven at two forty five or Cole at nine three twenty four with an opt out. I I think I might prefer Strasburg. I, yeah. I I don't know why. It's just seven years is a long time, and I think the Yankees. I mean, they realize that there's a chance that the back of this contract could look pretty terrible. Sure, uh, but I don't think they really care about that. Yeah. I think, and it's it's a good attitude to have. It's it's a it's a win now attitude, and and I like when teams go for that, even if it's the Yankees. Have you done the depressing mental calculus of how old you will be when um, some of these long <laughs> contracts expire? I I had a yeah. I had a real reckoning with my myself in the spring when Bryce Harper's deal got announced. <laughs> yeah, I was I was talking about someone with Mike about Mike Trout the other day, and I was just thinking, how old will I be when I vote for him for the Hall of Fame? Right, and he's he's not going to be retired for like what fifteen more years, another five years of, of waiting. And I'm in 20 years. I'm going to be 61. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's uh, I I was thinking about this with Harper and realized, you know, by the time his his deal with Philly is done, I will I will have a Hall of Fame vote and will have had one for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, which which is a cool thing. It's it's it a nice a very, perk. Oh yeah, it's a it's a very cool thing, and I look forward to um my anxiety addled brain taking it. F- well, probably as seriously as it ought to be taken. We won't. We won't downplay the importance of the hall, but but it was it was humbling to to realize that I will be in another decade of of life. I will have a different number at the front of my age by the time his his deal in Philly is done. You know, baseball it humbles all of us. It's not just the players. Yeah, I have I have two age related panics. One is baseball. One isn't. My non baseball related aging panic is I always think about how long ago Nirvana's Nevermind was released. Oh, and then man. I think of dates in history that are closer to that than today. Yeah. And you think, oh, the Beatles were closer. They they broke up way closer to Nevermind chronologically than yes. Nevermind is to today. That's yeah. the non-baseball thing. The other thing is I'm just watching those last few players who were older than me. Uh, because we did, at the start of the season, we still had Ichiro for a brief period. Right. We still theoretically had Joaquin Benoit and then mm-hmm. Fernando Rodney. 
Ichiro, of course, retired, and and I don't think Benoit is actually coming back at this point. Yeah. So so my my status where my career in the majors is still theoretically possible kind of just exists psychologically as long as Fernando Rodney is out there wearing his hat sideways. So I'm doubly rooting for him to get another job. Well, I think the good news is that he will probably outlast us all. He might outlast baseball just as an enterprise. <laughs> he'd, he'd be fun to have as, as the last baseball player. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think that that would be a candidly probably a more cheerful end than the sport will either deserve or be in for. But So you like Strasburg. Uh, you liked his return to DC. What are some of the other deals that that really uh, struck you as as good from you know either from a roster fit perspective or what have you? I like Mike Mustakas to Cincinnati quite a lot. I think that that they really I mean they really needed a second baseman and and the Brewers gamble uh, last year of playing Mustakas at second. I, I think it worked out. I mean he's not going to win a Gold Glove there, but he's adequate there, and that kind of. Yeah opens up a whole avenue of, of use for Mustakas because there's a lot of things they could do. They could eventually move Suarez to left field, play Mustakas at third. It, it gives the team a, you know more flexibility than they had before. So um, I also like the Reds going for it. I don't think the NL Central is going to be very good again. Yeah. And they're in that position. I mean, they probably have an elite rotation at this point. Yeah. And... That's a lot more than the rest of the division can say. And that gives the Reds some upside. I, I think they could be a 90-win team. I don't think that's like going to be the projection or anything. No, uh, but the potential seems to be there. I mean, to your point, so they have a, a resurgent Sonny Gray, who, was, who had just a fantastic year last year. Castillo, who was great. Bauer, who... Um, you know, I think that he is probably one of the more, I mean, he is one of the more controversial players in baseball for a number of reasons, but, um, not the least of which is that I I feel like there's a fair amount of disagreement about how good Trevor Bauer actually is, but serviceable at the very, very least. So there's that, uh, they have, they have Wade Miley, good old Wade Miley, (laughs) who, you know, Wade Miley is going to reunite with Derek Johnson, who helped him figure some stuff out um, in in Milwaukee. So who knows what uh, his kind of resurgent look might be next year? Might stop tipping some pitches. Could be could be good. So yeah, they're they're. Uh, oh, and I guess they have uh, what's his name, Discofani. They got him too. So yeah, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty good rotation. That yeah, looks I mean, like you a have rotation. Greg Castillo. Uh- I, I wonder how much money Miley lost in September of last year. Yeah, gosh, it's one of those things where you uh, and I. I mean, you're probably more familiar with the struggle even than I am. You don't want to overemphasize one bad month, right? Like stuff happens, guys get tired, maybe he was dinged up a little bit, but good God, was that a bad bad month that he had? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how to check this easily, but I wonder how many pictures. With an ERA under three in August, were left off the playoff roster. Yeah, because that's got to be the worst. When when like you're you're not even good enough that we're yeah. gonna let you eat some innings in the playoffs. That doesn't say a lot for you. Yeah, to go like more than to see a more than two run increase in FIP in the space of a month. That's a uh, that's really rough. That's a rough time. Uh, that, and now the the other signings I like. I still think that that the that players from Korea, I think we're still that they're still being undervalued to a degree. I mean, it's yeah. hard to to translate them, but when I look at, at like Kwang Hyun Kim's deal for yep. two years, eight million dollars, it, it's still weird to say it, but two million, I mean, two years, eight million dollars is practically nothing. Yeah, and it's all upside. I mean, oh, you yeah. don't get a lot for eight million. I mean, a, a few years ago. Eight million got you one year of Mike Pelfrey, and I'd rather have two years of a Kim than one year of a uh, of, of Mike Pelfrey. I I think that it's possible that they're still being undervalued. I look at the projections, and they're still way below what what Zips is projecting. I mean, it's not projecting that they're going to be elite pictures or, or that uh, Yoshi Tsutsugo is going to be you know a a, a star, but I, I think we're. St- that the teams are still undervaluing it a bit. And it'll be interesting to see because I think in the next few years we'll start to see these numbers start to come up. Yeah. Can you can you do a little uh, zips behind the magic for our listeners who might know? what? How do you approach projections for players who are coming over from MPB or the KBO? What, what goes in, what's the grist for the mill on that? Because I think a lot of people probably don't know. 
Well, I guess I guess how I approach it is grudgingly because it always drives me nuts projecting things that are hard to project. But <laughs> but it, it for for the translations I use, uh, Zips has every player that's come back and forth from Korea and Japan. Okay, and you know it, it makes an estimate. We don't have sure. the same sample size, obviously, as 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 we have with AAA players going to the majors. So there there is some guesswork involved, and the way that you translate. Japanese players is kind of different than AAA players. Sure. Uh, one thing I noticed uh, when you when you look at the guys who go back and forth is that batting average from Japan to the United States doesn't really take a hit. It's usually the home runs. Uh, Interesting. We, we've seen a lot of guys that hit a ton of home runs over there. They still hit for batting average over the United States, but the but power they, isn't. Yeah, the power isn't was. quite where it is. And do you track that up to a difference in the ball? It's hard to say. I think it's the ball, just the way the game's played. Some sure. of the, I, I think this is kind of evening out as there's been more interchange, exchange of players. But Major League Baseball kind of stopped worrying about strikeouts of batters long before Japan did. Sure. And one of the things that I noticed in the in the projections, and the, well, that Zips noticed, I didn't, is that strikeout pictures from Japan were were translating extremely well coming to the United States, and I think possibly. That is because the approach was more similar. Uh, I, I think that you Darvish had excellent translations, mm-hmm. uh, which, which he matched in, in Texas quite well. Uh, and if you look at Darvish's Japanese stats, you see a guy who wasn't a pitch to contact guy, but who went after batters, even without a scouting report. It's one of those things you can kind of glean from sure. the line. Uh, and he translated very well. And I think guys like that are just less risk. Uh, but I think over time, as, as more players go over there and more come back here and and uh, NPB kind of becomes kind of quadruple A.5, I think you'll start to see more similarities between the games. And I think that Korea and MLB, at least before Korea changed the ball back, uh, was actually pretty similar in, in concept in a way. Yeah. No, for sure. I think uh, we were all, when you when you did the... Uh, Zip's projection for Kim and dropped it in our Fangraph Slack. I think we were all a bit surprised by how how sterling it was compared to some of the other pitchers who signed. But if if you if you look back at, at the Zips for some of the, the recent players that came over, like Michaelis from Japan, mm-hmm. he he did not miss that projection by much. He actually no. exceeded it. Even uh, you look like Merrill Kelly. I mean, Zips wasn't super excited about Kelly, but it sure. thought he'd be a roughly averageish picture, and he pretty much was a roughly averageish picture with Arizona. Uh, so, as I said, I think that you'll start to see these these contracts start to go up because Kelly got two years, five and a half. You you see Kim get two years, eight. I think every year that'll probably creep up a little bit. I think if if this were five years from now, say Josh Lindblom would probably. Do better than three nine, like maybe like three fifteen or something. Sure, uh, but uh, it it it's good. Uh, I I haven't been to Korea to watch a game, but I really want to because they seem on some level to enjoy baseball more than we do. <laughs> yes, the the fan engagement does have a very different vibe to it. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure of watching baseball there either, but um, given some of the recent Fangraphs staff defections to the KBO, we might have to organize a, a Korea trip. Go hang out with Sung Min and and Herzenberg. Yeah, we uh, that would that'd be a lot of fun because you you watch the games there. Everybody has theme songs. It's like a party atmosphere. And here, like a player flips a bat, you're like he's disrespecting the game. Better throw a fastball at his ear. It's like, hey, you know, baseball's fun, and these guys seem to think baseball's fun. Like, why can't we have fun too? <laughs> I think I think that's a very good um, vocalization of the internet troll voice that you just did. I think that, that yeah, I I I don't ha- I don't do a lot of voices. This is one <laughs> generic kind of gruff. I think that one fits. I think you did just fine. Of all the deals that have been signed, were there any that made you sort of sort of cast an eye, a, a critical eye in the team's direction, either because the the deal itself seemed funky, or because perhaps you were hoping the team uh, would do a bit more. Uh, make a, a bigger splash, either answer is fine. I, I really hoped that a team would have been more interested in Cole Hamels than actually was. Yeah. His market did seem kind of tepid, didn't it? I mean, yeah, there was an injury concern. But, sure, but... I mean, he he's a decent pitcher. He was one of the most stable for the Cubs for a large part of the season that 
really kind of kept things together early. I'm, I'm still not crazy about Bumgarner in Arizona. Uh, he's become much more of a flyball picture as he's gotten older. Yeah. And so I worry a little about him outside of, of Oracle Park or whatever they're calling it now. Oracle Park, yeah. That one took a while to get used to. I'm not crazy about Jose Abreu's extension. I mean, I like Jose Abreu. And I like what he's done in Chicago. And I like when people get paid. Yeah. But I... I, I just can't see a three-year deal for him with his decline being 33. I just can't see the end of that being well. It's it's hard, you know, to let a guy like Jose Abreu go. Uh, he's such a you know a big leader, especially to the Cuban players on the team. But I don't think it's it's any easier if in two years he has a a 650 OPS and you have to you know decide what to do with him. I think back on like Pujols and the Angels, that's not quite the same because it's more money than than you know clubhouse stuff, but. I think it's been very hard for the Angels when it's time to reduce Pujols' playing time to actually do so. Yeah. I thought they were going to after he hit those milestones a couple years ago, but it's been really hard to reduce his playing time, and it's it's he's not a good player anymore, and it's yeah. tough to see that. Uh, but it's hard to get rid of your legends. I mean, it was hard to you know for Ripken to know it was time to go at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's the sort of thing that I think is perhaps one of the places where we as just regular folks out in the world have the most in common with with major leaguers because it's always difficult to acknowledge when you've lost a step, as it were. Uh, that's never an easy conversation to have with yourself and one that I would imagine is uh, is similarly difficult for ballplayers and perhaps more so because they have to lose their step in front of a whole bunch of other people. You know, it takes me a while to remember the rule for comma splices. No one's sitting here watching me do it. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I I tell people like on Twitter that if I've got to the point where I'm becoming like an old man and and that that's just angry at everything and and not liking anything I see, it's like it's just hit me with a shovel or something. I just oh goodness, I don't I don't want to I don't want to be everything I yell about. I'm also a little disappointed that Didi Gregorius didn't have a larger market. Yeah. I know he wants to re-enter, you know, free agency in a year, and I can see that, but I really thought he'd get more like a Josh Donaldson contract did last year, uh, because he's the same type. He yeah. was really, really excellent before 2019 and the injury, and I thought that maybe he could get, you know, one year, 20, one year, even, you know, 23, 24, because I think that it's a position where there aren't a lot of other options in free agency that are good. Yeah. I mean, you see, you know, Osdribal Cabrera and 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 and, and uh, Starlin Castro and all sorts of, you know, okay, a shortstop. But Gregorius, I think, easily had the most upside. He's he appears to be healthy, and I think a team like the Reds probably I would have hoped they would have been able to outbid the Phillies. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I shared your surprise. I was anticipating that the deal would be short in duration, either one or two years, um, simply because I, I'm sure he's aware that he has some value to rebuild. But like you, I thought that the, you know, the total value of the contract would end up being more than what he got. So hopefully he has a just crazy season and is able to rebound and then, you know, can go from there on a deal that's sort of more indicative of his overall talent level. But now the, now, the team I'm most disappointed in... Oh, yeah, well, let's, guess, shift, let's shift to team talk. Cause... I, I think I think it's the Cubs and the Red Sox who just have me disgruntled. <laughs> the Cubs, I mean, the Cubs... I think, have, I think their fan bases are similarly disgruntled. <laughs> they join you in their in their angst and consternation. Yeah, the Red Sox, of course, have, have suddenly decided that oh, we're going to get below the luxury tax. And... But the thing about the Red Sox is they really haven't done much of anything. I mean, yeah, it, it's like it's, it's like did did they like fire? It was it like Sports Illustrated? Did they fire everybody and and they're just uh, have people you know that are just temping for the Red Sox? It's like no, don't actually do anything. We're not here for that. We're just here to collect revenues. Yeah, it's so these moments of like franchise transition are always interesting. I mean, they're interesting for any number of reasons. Obviously, the Red Sox one is a little bit different than some of the other ones we've seen because they've been so recently successful and there is 
um, despite there being issues with that roster, so much talent that's present there. I don't necessarily, I'm curious what your perspective on this is. I don't necessarily begrudge new administrations taking their time sort of doing the evaluation process because you see this a bit more on the prospect side, I think, than you do on the major league side. But, you know, it's not unusual for new regimes to come in and because they aren't familiar with some of the personnel that's present on the roster, they sometimes trade quickly and end up regretting it later because they've let guys go who, you know, they shouldn't have or they've underestimated a prospect who maybe has potential. Obviously, the Red Sox situation is a little different because we don't need much time to evaluate Mookie Betts as good. Like, that's pretty obvious. We don't need a lot of help on that one. But d- is there a, a pace at which you think new front office leadership should be sort of proceeding when they're in that first off season, Or do you think they should just say, screw it to the luxury tax, go sign a bunch of guys? I, I, I mean, I would personally, I don't really, I don't own the Red Sox, so I don't get to make that know, decision, it, unfortunately. I know, it's but terrible. Imagine, I thought I'd own a team by now. Um, imagine, imagine for a moment, you have been, uh, you've been transported into the Red Sox front office, you've been hired as a consultant, and they turn to you and they say, Dan, what do we do? <laughs> what do you tell them, Dan? <laughs> well, 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 the tricky thing is, I think that the the ownership decision to turn it over to a new front office and impose a fancy new requirement on the team to yeah. suddenly take care of, I think that's created a lot of problems. I think that when you're transitioning to, you know, a new new front office, essentially, that you you do have to kind of, I know, take your time. But I also think that means that you don't institute any new, huge, gigantic things that they have sure. to deal with that's thrown on them. Yep. Uh, like, imagine when you had taken over for Carson Sestouli. Yeah. If if Dave said, "Okay, Meg, we're we're also going to do football now. We're starting next week. We need twenty writers." Yeah. That would have been. I imagine that'd be very stressful. Yeah, I think I probably would have cried. I think that would make me cry. <laughs> and that that's kind of what the Red Sox are. Someone told him, "Okay, like going to a restaurant. You know, you know how we make cheeseburgers? We're an Italian restaurant now. <laughs> next week." Oh, and you can't hire anybody, and you have to fire two of your chefs because they cost too much. I, I don't think that would work well. I, no. I think you'd have to transition. So I, I tend to like careful transitioning. I mean, this wasn't like uh, when when uh, Connolly and Huntington took over years right. ago for the Pirates, where they actually did a clean sweep of the organization because they had to. I don't think the Red Sox had that level of 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 just fundament- being fundamentally broken. No. I think that you have people in there that are familiar with the organization. They have kind of the the Gang of Four equivalent from from 1976 running the Red Sox essentially as as taking over from Dombrowski. And I think that they should be familiar with what's going on. I just if Henry had said, you know, we're going to try to get below the lurching attack next year, I right. think that would have been more reasonable, and they could have had a better game plan this off season. Because as it is, the Red Sox haven't gotten their payroll cut. They're not improved. It's like they could have just put a sign up saying closed for the winter <laughs> come back for the new season on march 1st have eaten uh, berries and hibernating <laughs> yeah the, have just you know a nice a nice casual winter yeah and the the cubs despite uh having consistent largely consistent leadership i know they had some coaching uh staff changes but despite having front office leadership that's largely consistent have also been quite quiet and have seemingly floated the idea of trading chris bryant yeah that that that's interesting uh because you know playing in a small midwestern market like chicago i mean where is illinois anyway i mean there's just there's just no money left in it. I mean, there's two Chicago teams. Oh, goodness. I mean, they're Cubs. They're not even Bears. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's the best uh, rejoinder I've heard on the subject all all winter. What's your what is your perception of the Chris Bryant trade market? Because he has the the grievance is still looming, right? We have not seen resolution on his the grievance that he filed alleging service time manipulation on the part of the Cubs in his his rookie year if the arbitrator awards him even just what is it one more day one more day of service time then he becomes a free agent in 
2021 instead of 2022, which is a significant difference. How do you imagine that will affect his trade market? Because, you know, knowing if you have two years versus one, that seems like it would come into the, the calculus you do about his value. Yeah, it's it's such a big thing that I think if I'm a team, because the Cubs aren't going to be asking nothing for Brian. They're going to be asking no. for a serious return. And I need to know how long I have Brian. Right. It kind of ties into my crazy idea for reforming service time calendars. Uh, my, my, my idea, which is probably unworkable and nobody would agree to it, is that all extra days of service time are paid for by by the uh, the the former team when that player hits free agency. So if Chris Bryant has say 174 out of 180 days, that his first year of free agency, the Cubs have to pay him 174 180ths of his first year salary with the new team. Kind of like buying the extra cashing in the service time for the player. I don't know how it would work and everyone would hate it. <laughs> but that that's kind of my idea because then it would matter less how many days there are. Yeah, I don't know that everyone would hate it. It seems like it would end up being quite complicated. I would dread watching teams try to arbitrage that still somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like complicated. I mean, you're looking at a guy who, who wrote a non-parametric model to project how <laughs> baseball players will play. This is fair. So we we are down on the Red Sox and the Cubs because we would like them to try to continue to win World Series championships because that seems like a good goal to have as a baseball team. Uh, but some of, some teams have acquitted themselves quite well so far in this offseason. Who who have been your who have been your favorites? Who's getting the the Dan Zimborski seal of approval? I, I know we've talked about the Reds already, but I have to put the Reds there just because yeah. we're talking about them. Uh, naturally, I'm going to like what the Yankees have done because I like Eric Cole and it's a big splash. I, I liked it. The Nationals brought back at least one of their two big free agents. Uh, yeah. I I hate to say I like what the Mets have done, but at least they seem to be concerned about the back of the rotation. Uh, sure. they, they now have one too many starters instead of one too few. And yeah, Jason Vargas did work out for a while last year, but uh, until they signed Waka and Porcello... It looked like that Walker, it was going to be Walker Lockett as the fifth starter or nobody. And I, I think the Mets did that, did well. And I always hate praising the Mets, but I, I have to be fair. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't worry about it. They'll probably do something goofy and give you a reason to complain in short order. I, I, I like what the Padres have done this offseason. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I like, I like their new lookout for there. I like seeing Famine. I like Grisham. And, and it, it, it stinks to, to, to lose Urias, but I mean, they get they got a return for him. Uh, I think Profar is going to be solid in, uh, for the Padres. He's not going to have a two eighteen batting average and balls in play anymore. That seems uh, tricky to to maintain that. Yeah, because what I always people always say, well, what if he's that bad? I'm like, he can't be that bad because the average pitcher hitting last year had a bat had a batting average and balls in play of like two thirty last year. Yeah. You, no one's no one no major league hitter who has success is worse at hitting a ball where they ain't than a pitcher is. It does seem unlikely at the very least. It would make for a, a fascinating sports psychology uh case if it were true because it seems quite difficult. I do like that Padres team and not just because Dave Cameron works for them. They're just they're pretty fun. We uh we did their uh, zips projections today. You did their yeah, zips were, projections. Yeah, the projections were a lot of fun. I, I swear to anyone listening that Dave Cameron did not pay me off for them. They just came out very positive. I can't, I would imagine that if there were undue influence being exerted there, that Eric Hosmer's projection would have looked quite different. Because <laughs> my goodness, Dan, that doesn't look good at all. If we we should if we're gonna tell the truth about stuff, we should tell the truth about that Eric Hosmer projection. Because goodness, it's not good. Hey, it's it would be his. I mean, it projected him at what one point one WAR, I think, off, yeah. offhand. That that would be his best WAR with the Padres. Oh, man, I mean, I still don't know how anyone that worked it out. And it is funny because Dave was a big critic of that signing. And, yes. and what I was looking for is Randy Johnson. <laughs> you remember Randy Johnson at the plate? Yes, I do. It was not pretty. No, even even he had a two thirty four batting average on balls in play. <laughs> Oh, so there's there's hope for Jerkson yet. Yeah, you're not gonna say 
Jerickson, are you worse at the plate than Randy Johnson? I'd probably go, no, I'm not. I'm I, I'm doing fine. We get we get more Fernando Tatis Jr. We get more we get more Chris Paddock, who I enjoy quite a bit. That bullpen looks cool and weird and fun. Yeah, I like um, weird. I, weird. Weird weird is good. I think bullpens are most fun when they're weird. Yeah, I, I think that the thing, you know, I I like it when uh, there are a lot of different sort of looks and approaches, and they certainly fit that. fit that. And I, I don't know, I, I, I said I was surprised by four years for Pomeranz, and I, I remain surprised by that, just given how few innings that really great Sterling relief uh, work was done over uh, in Milwaukee. But I imagine he'll be quite good, so it's going to be a fun little group to watch. Should yeah, be good. when I think of a bullpen, I think of like all the ar- 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 archetypes that I I kind of want. Right. I want you know the flame throwing closer. Mm-hmm. I want the small lefty with the weird motion who throws ninety five somehow. Yep. I want a submariner. Yeah. Uh, I want someone who has a weird breaking pitch that they learned in the indep- in an independent league. That those are the <laughs> kind of things I want in a bullpen. It 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 uh it's gonna be that's gonna be a fun little group. I continue to think the greatest service that the Padres have done is uh you know having Tatis up on opening day and thus putting Machado back at third because I just I just enjoy watching that guy play third base. I like it. And speaking of being nice to the Mets, because the Padres didn't play games with Tatis in, in 2019, the Mets did not play games with Pete Alonso. They did not. And I I feel like that. They should be rewarded for this in a, in, a, in an atmosphere where all the teams are saying, you know, Toronto Blue Jays last year, they couldn't just not say something. They had to say, oh, well, he's not one of the 25 best players on the team right now. That's not uh, what Carson sounds like at all, Dan. <laughs> in, in my dreams, he does. And <laughs> oh, and really, it was, uh, oh, God, who, who was, oh, it was the other player who was held down. Oh, the Reds and, and Senzel. Yeah. When they said, oh, we can't call him up. This is before he was injured. They said, right. oh, we, we can't call him up because he needs to learn center field. Yes. Well, after he was healthy, they called him up after he played center field for like six games. It's like, so were those six games the key to mastering the position? It's like. Oh, just- yeah. It's always it's always very silly. It's always wildly transparent. I mean, I think the thing that I would say, I I. I agree with you. I think the thing that I would say about Pete Alonso and the reward the Mets get, they won some baseball games. That seems like great reward. Yeah, it's a good thing. I don't I don't usually I'm not usually too tough on teams that are really just absolutely terrible, you know, doing money things. Like the Orioles, anything they do is not really gonna win more games in 2020 or, sure. or anything. But when you could actually win meaningful games like the Mets could, then I'm I'm pretty hard on on them. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something to be said for even very bad teams having some mind of giving their fan base so- something. You got to give them, you got to give people something, right? So like when they, I know that they ended up trading him to, to Miami, but when they were just releasing Jonathan VR, I thought to myself, well, well, who are you going to go see? Who are you going to go look at in Baltimore? Well, there's there's pit beef and there's there's crabs there's there's lots of things to do sure but you know i think there's something to be said for giving even in a year where you know that you're going to do quite poorly uh especially in a division like the orioles find themselves in you got to give people something right um because like richmond's still a little ways away so you got to give your fans something to look at in the meantime that isn't i don't know trey mancini he, he had a him. fine year, I guess, by Baltimore standards. I guess he was almost a four-win player. Good yeah, for you, Trey. Instead of John Means, John Means was was, yeah. was was fun. That's true. He he ended up placing on my uh, AL Rookie of the Year ballot. So that happened, right? No? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, going back to the Padres, I forgot one thing for why they had a great offseason. They got rid of those generic uniforms they They're had been back using. back to brown. I mean, yeah. Baseball uniforms have gotten so boring. It's yes. all just some shade of blue, some shade of red, a lot of white. Yeah. And you don't. I mean, the A's didn't use their gold jerseys at all in 2019. I don't believe. No, they used the Kelly greens quite a bit though, so that was good. Yeah, that those are good, but the yellows are great too because you don't yeah. see a lot of yellow. Yeah. Uh, you you don't see brown, and I love those the the the, the brown and yellow. Padres jerseys, yeah. the, the mustard and brown. It's just like different types of mustard. If it, if you can't identify, like, oh, that's honey mustard. Oh, that's Dijon. Then <laughs> you, you, they shouldn't be wearing it. Oh, that, oh, that's spicy brown. I think that's what the Padres 
look best in as opposed to the blue. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if they're going with the whole monk thing, I mean, the monks were, you know, those brown yeah. monk cloak things. They have a name, which I don't know offhand. They do you know, have a name. Friars wear, they, I guess they're just like, I guess they're just robes, right? They're just robes. A tunic or a cowl? Probably a, a tunic. You might call it a tunic. Yeah, sure. We're yeah, I think those are the people. Franciscans. I don't, I don't know all yeah. my orders very well. Uh, Franciscans wear their robes. Like yeah, that. I mean, I went to a, I went to a Jesuit school, so I should know these things a little better. But I, I think it's a good color. It, it looks cool. I'd like to see more teams go back to some of the colors. I was, I, I liked for a while the Diamondbacks had been experimenting with like different reds than everyone else, but they've kind yeah. of backed off. And they had that. I like that darker gray that they had. That kind of that, that shark gray or something yeah. i don't know how to describe it which they've, they're also backing up from but the, the padres uniforms were just i always compare it to like you're playing a video game and you're creating a team and that's like the generic uniform for team one that they give you because it was just like no one's going to remember fondly about it and i didn't want the padres to have their return to the playoffs those memories being those being made with those muted. terrible uniforms yeah. yeah i i'm here to tell you dan that they are also referred to as habits which consists of a tunic and a scapular and a cowl. And then uh, the you know the monks have hoods and nuns wear veils. So there you go. We've learned something today. Now people don't have to email me about a religious garb. We've learned our we have learned our lessons. I have found myself surprisingly agitated by the presence of the Nike swoosh on the Yankees uniforms. And I, you know, generally find that, you know, there are some Yankees fans, just some, not all of them, but just some who get a little bit twee about the whole pinstripe thing. And I continue to think that that is true, but I also think that the swoosh might be a war crime. So I'm struggling with that. I think yeah, they it, should move it, it to it the It does sleeve. break up kind of the even of the... Yeah. Just the picture of the of the pinstripe, you said that, that the swoosh in there. Yeah. It's I would have liked if the swooshes had been kind of in more... Just put them on the sleeve. Yeah, I mean that's a good place for them. Have it, have everyone with an undershirt with like the the swoosh sticking out of their neck or something. Yeah, kind of like how the tigers normally wear the more obvious like little half turtleneck deals. Because the way it is, it's like when 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 they play the national anthem and everyone puts their hand over their heart, even though it's not actually where the heart is, but. That's kind of where the Nike logo almost is. So you're going to have people kind of doing the Pledge of Allegiance. It just seems weird. It's like, everyone put your hands on your Nike swoosh and let's hear the national anthem. Oh, yeah. See if that's true that it's not good. I thought that it was on the... I thought it was on the... uh, Yeah, I'm I'm trying to Google this. The other side there. Yeah, I'm looking up Yankee Nike swoosh. Yeah, the the Yankee part is is over your left. Yeah, the Yankee is on the left, but I... So you... It, I mean, it's, it's on the right, I think. I mean, the Google image search, maybe the Google image search is lying to me. But either way, I think it, it kind of just disrupts the whole design. Yeah, it's not a good Some one. teams worse than others. But still better than the Players Weekend jerseys. You know, the yeah the, I, the black ones and the white ones. Yeah, those it, ones were particularly bad. They were they were not the best. Dan, the thing about it is that not all of these free agents are signed, even though it feels like many of them are. And so I thought what we would do to conclude this episode of Fangraphs Audio is do a little lightning round. And what I'm going to do is I've gone to our wonderful roster resource free agent tracker, and I have pulled up all of our unsigned free agents, and then I have sorted this uh, because it is very easy to sort and filter and do all kinds of fun things by uh, these players' projected war. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a couple, and you're going to say... What team you think they should go to, and if you want to say why, you can. But if there are others that you want to leave mysterious, that is fine also. Okay, is there a ticking clock? Because that, that might make me nervous. Uh, I, need a, no. I need like to win a car or something if there's going to be a ticking clock. The, okay. No, there's, no not a, there's not a ticking clock, uh, but we will we will try to move through them at a uh, reasonable pace. Let's put it that way, a reasonable okay. pace. Okay, so first up we have Josh Donaldson. Still want to see him with the Braves. Still think it's the best fit for him. Uh, I know they they have Camargo, they have Riley, but I think Donaldson as plan A there, you'd still have enough room to play them elsewhere. I, th- I think Donaldson's still the best fit there. Okay. Marcelo Zuna. Uh, Azuna, I would actually... Hmm, I, I See, I'd like to fit him with the Rockies, but I just can't do that because, one, they're not going to do that. No. And, and two, then, then who plays center field? I would... 
I would like the Cubs to sign him, even though that's not going to happen. Yeah. I think they could use a corner outfielder, and he can play the position. I think that if, I mean, they're not bringing back Castellanos either, but I think Schwerber Castellanos is a bit of a stretch in the corners, and you are having Hayward probably have to cover a little too much yeah. uh, there. Uh, but I would like to see Ozuna go to the Cubs. Hunjin uh, Ryu. Angels. I think that's a perfect yeah. fit. The Angels need a dependable starter. Yeah, he's had some injury concerns, but nothing compared to the Angels usually. Uh, I know that they look that they just signed uh, Tehran, yes. but they still. I don't think it should affect Ryu at all. No. Uh, they they need someone because no one pitched 100 innings. I don't believe last year for them. No, no, I don't think I don't think anyone did. Uh, they were they were in pretty rough shape as a rotation uh, for you know a number of reasons, some of which were quite sad. But yeah. it was it was a very it was a rough go, and we don't know with Otani coming off the TJ how much he's going to be able to pitch. So that that could be tricky. I I think we would be a good fit there. Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel. I'm going to say Chicago. Because Which he, Chicago. Oh, the White Sox. Yeah. I for, yeah. I forget there's two teams sometimes. No, uh, because <laughs> it, it, they need another picture. Yeah. Uh, who did they just sign? My brain is empty. They today. They, oh, Gio. Gio Gonzalez yeah, signed with them today. Yeah, they're bringing it was back like, Gio. I, I think that, that Keiko kind of fits that, that Mark Burley role. And they need innings. They mm-hmm. need innings even more than they need quality. And Keiko will give them innings. That that rotation is, is thin. They didn't sign Grandal with the intention of going 74 and 88 this year. Uh, and there's not a lot out there available. I think Keiko's a good fit for, for Chicago. Cesar Hernandez. Cesar Hernandez. Let's see. Currently projected for slightly under two wins. I'm going to say the Indians. They, mm. they do need another middle infielder. I mean, Christian Arroyo. I mean, because Kipnis, they had him last year. He's not signed, but... It would be nice to upgrade that position, yes. especially because they seem so determined to trade Francisco Lindor now. Yeah. So they, w- they would need another middle infielder. And I think Hernandez won't be that expensive. Yeah. Yasiel Puig. Puig. I can see him going to the Rangers. I think oh, he'd be yeah. a good fit there in a corner. I don't know if they could really find a full-time role for him, but they're kind of he's kind of running out of spots to find a full-time job. Yeah. Because going back to the Reds actually would have been probably an okay fit, but that was never going to happen. And you look like, who needs a left fielder, really? I mean, the Indians might. That that would be a fine reunion. Uh, the Braves, I mean, they signed Marcakis. They're not going to just immediately bench into a fourth outfielder. And, oh, man, I keep forgetting they did that. And the teams that need corner outfielders are mostly the non-contenders. I can't see the Giants signing Puig. I can't see, you know, the Marlins or the or the Tigers doing that. I wonder if if and when, I think it's probably a matter of me- of when, not if, we see Arizona start to play in that outfield market. I think that they will probably try to do something via trade first, but I am curious because they need help and right. Yeah, um, I was. I actually was pimping Ozuna in the uh, the Arizona LEG for for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe the maybe the Royals in Puig would be fun because oh. they. They've kind of kept left field sort of open as kind of the, the Alex Gordon memorial spot just in case he comes back. But yeah. they, they should be playing Merrifield at second full time. It, it's kind of silly to use him in a corner. Uh, I think Soler and Puig could hit a lot of home runs and the team's going to be lousy. But they could be lousy and hit a lot of home runs, which yeah, would be fun. That could be fun. Uh, Jason Castro. Jason Castro. <sighs> Maybe the Rockies. Because they're still trying to sort through some of their pitching. Uh, you look at Kyle Freeland, and they do not have a good catching situation. No. Uh, they, they showed no interest in, in Tom Murphy. Tony Walters, I mean, he's fine defensively, but he's not someone you actually want to start and is in Coors Field, and they need to get off at somewhere. And I think Castro would do better than, than Walters. And, and, oh, God, they still have Drew Patera, don't they? It's a really weird org. Okay, we're going to do... We're going to do three more. So I'm going to skip around a little bit because some of these are less fun. And some of them we've sort of tangentially talked about. Rich Hill. Rich Hill. He would be fun on a... I mean, he'd also be fun with the Angels simply because they need so much pitching. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to keep going to the Angels. Like That kind of feels like it's cheating in the way. Maybe the Pirates. Oh. They, they, they've occasionally, you know, brought in some of these veteran pitchers for short-term contracts. And uh, they do have room in the in the in the lineup or in the rotation. I think 
I'll, I'll say the Pirates. All right. Well, we'll go with that. Uh, let's stick with pitching, but go over to the relief side. Dylan Batances. Oh, but I want him to pitch for the Orioles just because I want him to pitch for the Orioles. <laughs> That's probably not the worst idea in the world. I bet if he shows he's healthy, the Orioles could could probably get a pretty good prospect for him in July. Maybe yeah. I'll just say the Orioles. I mean, no I, one's going to stop me. No. I mean, uh, Dallin Batances will probably end up stopping you at some point, but yeah, so but, far, he hasn't. Yeah, but... But these these are I mean I'm not predicting hopefully uh, I, I I'm I'm being kind of you know the 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 emperor king of baseball who orders people places so I will make Patances pitch for the Orioles because I'd like to see him with the Orioles he'd be a lot of fun as the closer. How about Alex Wood? I'm going to say the Astros. They could use another picture in the back of the rotation, and they tend to they tend to they did a good job. I mean. I don't think that they use the trash can type thing with their pitching, but they, they do seem to have a knack for getting the most out of these guys. And Alex Woods had a rough career-wise, injury-wise, I guess. Yeah. Of course, they don't even have uh, Sanchez injured and non-tendered. Yeah. So I, I, I think that they do could use a, a fifth starter with, with some upside. That sounds good. Man, Sanchez, he had that one, he did have that one good start. <laughs> It, it, it's funny. I I keep calling him Aron Sanchez because no. there's a chef named Aron Sanchez. Uh, I was like, no, I don't think there's. I don't think it's accented. <laughs> yeah, there's Aaron Sanchez, the baseball player, and Aron Sanchez, the chef who who has a commercial where he sells manchego cheese. Uh, <laughs> because he was the he was this thin in shape chef. Oh. And the thing about these celebrity chefs is they get fatter and fatter as their careers go on. And Sanchez was was a thin guy. And then he's like put on a bunch of weight. You see him on a commercial trying to encourage people to put corn, to put cheese on their corn on the cob. And it's like, oh, that's goodness. what you're putting on the weight, buddy, when you're putting the Manchego cheese on the corn <laughs> on the cob in the commercial. It's like, th that's why. I mean, I can tell you why I gained weight. I can tell you why you gained weight. Um, <laughs> well, maybe Aaron Sanchez will find uh, work as a cheese spokesperson, a, a cheesemonger, if you will, if, uh, if the baseball thing doesn't work out. Dan, you have had uh, you have a number of things kind of going at the site right now. You have the the very last little bit of your elegy series coming down coming down the way here. Uh, you have Zips projections. Who's our next Zips projection uh, that you're going to release? Well, actually, I have to look it up because <gasps> I I generate them in random order every year oh. because otherwise I discover that people will put peer pressure on me for their favorite team to be released earlier. Oh. And so to, to kind of clear that out, I just have a random number generator do it. It is the Mets. Oh, boy. We Here have the Mets and then the Orioles. Here come the Mets and the Orioles. Well, people should definitely take a look for Mets and Orioles projections. They should follow you on Twitter. Remind people what your Twitter is, Dan. D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I or D-S-Z-Y if you're in Canada. <laughs> And you'll have many more unrelated to Zips things coming up in the new year. Dan, thanks for joining me and happy holidays, man. Happy holidays to you, too. We always have fun talking about stuff. Yeah, we do. We'll have you back real soon.